Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I want to start with uh, by telling you that, you know, once upon a time I was covering the Big Ten Conference as a beat reporter, late 90s. I was covering, uh, you know, Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana. I spent a spell covering Notre Dame, but I only bring this up to uh, to tell you one of the great lessons I learned. There was one season in particular that I just started on fire. I mean, 6-0 and in week one against the spread. They had us picking games against the spread. And, and look, I didn't start off by analyzing a bunch of data or pouring over a bunch of things. It's week one or week zero or whatever it was of that season. Uh, you know, I was just picking who I thought would win the game, and here's the point spread, and yada, 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 as they say on Seinfeld. But uh, did pretty well, 6-0, and feeling good about myself. Week two came along. I followed the same instructions. I just picked. I went 6-0 and again. I was 12-0, and undefeated, to start the uh, season. I'm out in the Midwest, granted. It's not the best part of the country to live in, I got to tell you. But I'm in the Midwest, and I'm covering Big Ten football, and I'm starting a college football season with a dozen straight wins against the spread. I literally started to think, you know what? Maybe I should be betting on these games. Maybe I'm wasting my time covering college sports. Maybe I should have a 1-900 line, like one of those East Coast-accented guys. I don't even know if they're from the East Coast, but maybe they fake the accent. And they say, here's my five-star pick of the week. Your blue plate special, whatever you want to call it, and uh, have people pay for my picks. You know, my grandfather uh, lived in South Lake Tahoe, one of my grandfathers at the time, and I can remember him asking me after I got off to that red hot start that season. He said, hey, uh, you know, what do you think of Wisconsin's game this week? And I, you know, I started to get a little, uh, you know, you know how it is. You have a little success couple weeks i'm undefeated this is easy i'm seeing the winners i'm seeing the field the game has slowed down for me and uh so then uh in the subsequent two weeks i went oh and six and oh and six it's a reminder that uh there's a reason why none of us at least most of us and maybe all of us uh should not be uh, uh you know using uh sports wagering as anything more than some simple entertainment i'm going to start today's show by giving you my pac-12 picks and I got to tell you, with a caveat, I've been on fire lately. I don't want you to worry. I'm not going to quit my job. I'm not going to Vegas. I'm not. Uh, I learned my lesson back in the late 90s. I'm not going to handicap college football games full time, but I'm going to handicap the Pac-12 as I do every week. Week nine presents a very difficult week in the Pac-12 season to pick games against the spread. A uh, bunch of double-digit point spreads, a couple of interim head coaches meeting in a game, a bunch of teams that are playing with new motivation. Uh, I called it in print today. If you read me at johnconzano.com, you know this. I called this week a, a sociological experiment. 
And I love sociological experiments. We had one once upon a time in the Trailblazers locker room. Blazers uh, assembled a bunch of talent that didn't really fit together, a bunch of talented players, and they said, let's see what happens. And it didn't work out all that well. Like, they had some success, but they did not have sustained success, and they could not keep the players uh, getting along, and they could not find chemistry and harmony, and it ended poorly. But there are other sociological experiments that end really well. Like, I, I think there's one going on at Oregon State. Oregon State has reached into its past after trying Gary Anderson, after, uh, you know, the Mike Riley era. They've gone right back to their roots. They, you know, I called Research Stadium the house that Jonathan Smith built. Like, he didn't literally make any of the plans for the stadium. And you know, much respect to Bob DeCarolis, the athletic director, uh, longtime AD at Oregon State, who builder Bob, who raised Research Stadium. And much respect for Dennis Erickson and the job he did. And, of course, Mike Riley. And you can go back to DeAndros. And you can talk about the great players over the years. But nobody, nobody at Oregon State has been a player that delivered Oregon State to a Fiesta Bowl and then subsequently was handed the keys to the program uh, years later uh, and said, hey, go coach it now. And Jonathan Smith, that's a sociological experiment. You know, they're, they're going, hey, you know what goes into this. You've lived it. Come back. Now try to work it. And so Jonathan Smith's working it. Same thing going on at Oregon. Like, Oregon made a conscious decision years ago when, uh, you know, Mark Helfrich was the coach. They kind of said, look, we're, we want to keep this Chip Kelly thing going Nobody's more qualified than Mark Helfrich to kind of keep it going. And so they uh, went to the kid from Coos Bay and said, look, just don't change anything. You got Marcus Mariota at quarterback. Just keep this thing going. And he did. He got him to a national championship game in 2015. Marcus Mariota won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, you remember, um, you know, Mark Helfrich coming into coming into that post-game uh, news conference. And it was, you know, the kid asked the question about, you know, Jesus uh, – the Heisman Trophy, Marcus Mariota, girls on the playground, whatever that was, that kid that came in there. I can play that clip, but I, I digress. The big thing was Oregon had to make a conscious decision when it fired Mark Helfrich. What did it want to do? What did it want to be? And we saw some of this in this last hiring cycle because they have now cycled through four head coaches in seven years trying to figure out what they want to do and what they want to be. We saw some players who wrote a letter. Remember the players that wrote the letter? Joey Harrington. Uh, Kelly Smith, some of the former players, they wrote a letter saying, hey, hey, we're tired of this merry-go-round. We want to get off this merry-go-round. We would like to see uh, Oregon's football program uh, reach into its past a little bit and kind of remember who it is and where it came from. We get it. You want to be on the map, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Phil Knight is funding this operation. Oregon wants to win one for Phil. But uh, in the end, you know, we, we kind of want to go back to our past. And remember, the players got all mad when I got my hands on that letter. And I published it, and, and, you know, to their point, they didn't think it was going to go public. I think it embarrassed them, some of them a little bit. But, you know, Joey and I have since text messaged about a few things, and we'll be fine. But in the end, I, I'm looking back. And, and, by the way, I had some people last weekend who said, oh, get those players back on the show and let them eat crow. It's no, 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 no. That's not what it's about. I don't blame players from the past of Oregon football for caring about their program. We can't do that. But I do think it's a sociology experiment, right? This is an Oregon football program that was built sort of on the blood of, you know, Len Casanova and the sweat of, of Rich Brooks and more sweat by Mike Bellotti. And you're talking about Brooks was there 18 seasons and Bellotti was there 14 seasons. And, you know, on Saturday I was on the sideline at the end of the game. Oregon's beating UCLA under Dan Lanning. 
and who has been there not even one season, and Gary Campbell, the former Oregon assistant coach, the running backs coach, longtime running backs coach, is on the sideline. He's on the Ducks sideline. And Gary Campbell was an assistant coach at Oregon for 33 seasons. 33 seasons. You talk about the continuity that's born from that. Oregon found Chip Kelly after Mike Bellotti. He did four seasons. Then it went into Mark Helfrich. And then it was, let's buckle up and do something. And then it was Mario Cristobal putting a foot in the ground. And now it is Dan Lanning. And it is a sociology experiment. It is like, okay, let's see what happens when you grab people who have no connection to the past of the program. They might be good football coaches. They might be great recruiters. Who knows what they are? And let's throw this thing together and see what happens. And so it is a sociology experiment all the time in sports. And it's one of the things, like, people always ask me, they're like, you know, hey, when you write, you write a lot about people. You write a lot about the motivation of people and, the, you know, the sociology and the psychology involved in it. That's what fascinates me. It's the people. They just, they just happen to be involved in sports. Like Dan Lanning, the Oregon football coach, you know, uh, you know, stopping at the gas station, the Chevron gas station. Are you kidding me? After beating UCLA. And he looks over and sees four kids who have driven round trip more than 180 miles from Canby, Oregon, all the way to Eugene. And then they're headed home. And they, those kids have been driving around looking for the best price on gas so they can save a few bucks when they fill up. And here comes Dan Lanning, who says, hey, I'm going to pay for your tank of gas. Right? And then we all find out about it in... Lanning just, he's just paying it forward. I mean, that's, to me, that's the interesting part of what we're doing here. And so I am fascinated by week nine of this season because you have uh, a bunch of games that have interesting sociology sort of experiments that are going on within them. We've got teams that we're not sure if they are as motivated as they were at the beginning of the year. You have two interim head coaches. You have a Stanford program that was really, really, really bad but in recent weeks has looked a lot better and is finding ways to win ugly, more or less. You've got a USC team against an Arizona team that it's a bunch of offense against a bunch of offense. Like, they may score 80 total points in that game. you got Oregon going to Cal, who, oh, by the way, is coached by who? The coach that everybody, all those former players wanted to get the job in the first place. Will that guy be more locked in than he is maybe in other weeks to try to beat Oregon? We're going to find out. And then you got one tonight. Utah's at Washington State tonight in a game that, you know, is really interesting because the home teams have been so good in the Pac-12, but Washington State has been kind of up and down. And Utah it seemed to play with renewed focus a week ago, but they're not quite themselves. Like, I'm looking at Utah. They're not running the ball. They're not playing defense like they have in years past. They're throwing the ball 40 times a game, and they're trying to outscore you. So, yes, there's some sociology going on, and I'm here to tell you I was 3-1 and against the spread last week. I was 3-1 and straight up. Steven, let's kick around the picks for this week uh, if we can. We'll talk about these games, but uh, I want to do it after the commercial break. We're going to go through, we're going to go through Utah, Washington State. We're going to go through all these games this week. How are you feeling right now as you begin stretching out for this segment? Yeah, you know, I'm doing a little research here. I, I feel pretty good. I feel like you know this, like you said, this is an interesting week because there's a lot of double-digit spreads. But also take into account, you know, the whole you know trend is your friend. The home teams play really well. Yeah. There's some home underdogs this week that, you know, are getting a lot of points starting with this game tonight on Thursday night between Utah and Washington State. You know, with the with the home teams being so good in the Pac-12, it's hard to say, you know what, I'm going to give up or, you know, I'm not going to take these points 
and go with the home team. So uh, it'll be an interesting week for sure. It was uh, interesting on Saturday night. I texted you late Saturday night, and I I thought I was going to be 4-0. I, I, I was 4-0. Like, Washington and Cal were playing the late game on Saturday night. Uh, Washington was giving Cal uh, seven and a half points. I had picked Washington to cover at Cal, and Washington was up 28-14 in the closing minutes. And I texted you against my better judgment, and I said, I'm going to go 4-0. This is what I'm talking about. This is why you don't talk trash when you're wagering. And Cal scored a touchdown within a minute or two of my text, and I went, never mind. Yeah, I mean, Back- right, right after you texted me, it was like touchdowns. Like, oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> the old backdoor cover by Cal uh, late in that game. We could have some of that going on this weekend. We're going to talk about it next. Mark Few is coming up uh, at the uh, top of the hour at 4 o'clock. Be here for that, Gonzaga coach. Uh, it, that is going to be a fascinating talk. Uh, Jaden Grant, the team captain at Oregon State, will join us uh, at about 3.30 today. But we'll give our picks in the Pac-12 next. We're here to, we're here to help you look smarter over the weekend. That's what we'll do next. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, uh, we'll get Jaden Smith at the bottom of the hour, uh, Oregon State captain. They're off this week, but uh, we'll talk to him about the off week and the goals down the stretch for Oregon State. I'll have him uh, tell me what the most interesting game of the weekend is for him in the Pac-12. Mark Few, Gonzaga basketball coach, will join us uh, at 4 o'clock. I know a lot of Gonzaga fans are excited to hear him talk. They've got a big game. They're doing a pay-per-view game tomorrow they're doing a pay-per-view game it's kind of an experiment they're going to play Tennessee the game is available on pay-per-view and the money's going to go to charity but I think they're kind of doing some market testing and some market research to see does pay-per-view work would people actually tune in to watch a big game on pay-per-view could this be a big revenue generator for a program like Gonzaga Uh, we'll keep an eye on that talk to Mark Few about that coming up at four o'clock let's start Stephen by handicapping the games Utah traveling to Washington State tonight game is kicking off at 7 o'clock, FS1, temperature in the low 40s at kickoff. I know uh, I, I like both coaches in this game. Jake Dickert, Washington State coach, good coach, good defensive-minded coach. Kyle Whittingham uh, speaks for itself. Uh, I think Utah has more talent. I think Utah has the more reliable uh, quarterback in Cam Rising. Uh, Washington State has the home field, though, and Washington State is a little bit desperate. They need a win. So I think this game is compelling, but I like Utah's firepower a little more. I think it's the difference. Uh, Utah's favored by 7.5, and, a half, and uh, I am, uh, I'm picking Utah to win the game. I don't think they're going to cover, and I think that has to, has to do with the home field. I have it Utah 31, Washington State 27. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on the spread. I think you're right. Utah's going to win this game. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like Utah might cover this game, and you know, I pulled up these stats here. Mm. You know, we talked about Utah really throwing the football. They're 14th right now in the nation in completion percentage. Washington State, 93rd in defensive completion percentage on the other side. I, you know, Cam Rising, such a cool customer. We talked about how good he can be. And I don't know that the road atmosphere is necessarily going to hurt him as he's such a veteran quarterback. He's so you know laid back, and that stuff doesn't get to him. I think Cal can, or I mean, I think uh, Utah can throw the ball on Washington State, and uh, I think they win by ten. Does it concern you at all that it's a Thursday night game? I get I get kind of yeah. weirded out by Thursday night and Friday night in the Pac-12. Yeah, especially up in Pullman, like you know, things are going to get weird up there, and like you said, Washington State is desperate for a win, so that is 
that is the one thing that really concerns me, but I think Utah has the talent. I, I like the matchup between the Utah offense versus the Washington State defense where Utah's going to throw the football because uh, they don't have the explosive run game like they had in the past. So you know, for that reason, I just think i got to go with Utah. But, yeah, it does scare me a little bit. I pick Utah to win, but I don't think they cover. Uh, Steven and I disagree on the point spread, but we agree on the outcome. Uh, Oregon's at Cal on Saturday. Let's start with the 1230 game, FS1. I'll let you go first on Oregon-Cal. The spread, Oregon is favored by 17 right now on the road. Yeah, this one uh, raised up a lot. It started out a lot lower. It's gone up to 17. I think Oregon gets it done again. You know, We saw Oregon play Arizona on the road. Um, a couple weeks ago and really put it on Arizona. I know Cal's better than Arizona, but I think Oregon's offense is so good and so rolling right now that uh, Oregon's going to get the win by three scores. I think they covered this game. You know, Bo Nix, he said, you know, if they played George right now, it'd be competitive. They might win. So I think Oregon has a lot of confidence going to this game. Cal's been struggling. Uh, give me the Ducks, and I'm going to lay the points. Yeah, it, it, this is, is not a home favorite. This is a home underdog, Cal, and I think that's the difference. Cal always seems to play Oregon tough, but those were Mario Cristobal teams that they played tough. And I think a lot of times Mario Cristobal, when he had the better team, more talent, he played not to lose instead of playing to win. Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham on the offensive side feel very different to me. Um, I think Oregon is playing for a lot. I think Cal is really limited on offense. Maybe Oregon suffers a letdown after the UCLA win, but the first college football playoff ranking comes out on Tuesday. So I think the Ducks know they have to play well and they have to look good doing it. Oregon is a 17-point favorite, as I mentioned. I think Oregon's going to cover. I have it Oregon 38, Cal 17. Do you have Oregon covering? Yeah, I do. I think Oregon yeah. covers this game. And that was one of the questions you know we all had coming into the season is, how does the offense look under Dan Lanning? Because we saw Mario Cristobal bring in a very conservative style. Was Lanning going to bring in that SEC style as well? It hasn't been that way, right? Oregon has been very aggressive on the offensive side. So for that reason, yeah, I think Oregon uh, laid the points, and I think Oregon covers. 4 o'clock on the Pac-12 Networks, it's USC at Arizona. Now, Arizona has a lot of kids from the Southern California area on their roster. I looked at their roster. I think this is an important thing. Again, I'm coming back to that sociological experiment that we're doing. Um, I think Arizona will be up for this game. I think it's as close to a bowl game as they will get. I don't think their rivalry game is going to hold as much luster as this. Um, they're at home. The point spread is 15.5. I think it's a little bit inflated because of the USC brand. Um, I think this game is going to be closer than 15.5. The over-under is 76.5. I think they will. Uh, they could challenge that, uh, but I'm going to pick USC to win the game. But I think Arizona is going to find the end zone plenty. I have it 42-31 USC. Uh, if uh, you're an Arizona fan, I think you take the 15 and a half points. Uh, you don't win the game, but you you have an entertaining game if you're Arizona. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Arizona covers this game. Uh, you know, we looked back a couple weeks ago. I just talked about that Oregon Arizona game. That spread was 13 and a half. So if USC is getting, you know, giving up 15, 15 and a half, that's saying USC is two points better than Oregon on the same field. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Uh, so I think, I think Arizona, like you said, they can score with anybody, and they just put up a bunch against Washington. They put up a bunch against a lot of teams. They're going to get up for this. I think Arizona stays within the number, but USC wins. Arizona State is at Colorado Saturday, 4:30 on ESPNU. ESPNU, what is that? Like, it's, that's the I haven't seen a game on ESPNU in a long time, but this this is a weird game. Two interim coaches, a historically bad Colorado offense. They're averaging 13.7 points a game, and that is helped by the fact that they played overtime and got to 20 against Cal a couple weeks ago. So, um, look, 
this one, uh, Arizona State is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm, I'm not I, – I, I hate that I'm doing this, but I'm going to take Colorado in the 13-and-a-half because I think Colorado can get to 20 uh, against Arizona State. So Colorado gets to 20, but Arizona State only scores 31. So I have it 31-20. I'll take Colorado with the, with the backdoor cover at home. Uh, they don't win the game. But they feel good that they got to 20 points. I hate to agree with you three in a row, but I do. Whew. Like, Arizona State, should they be favored by 13 points over anybody? Anybody, yeah. Right? And that's that's my whole thing. Like, on the road, 13 points, that's a lot of points to give up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think in Colorado, renewed energy when they play at home. We saw the atmosphere when they played Cal. It'll be interesting to see if the crowd comes out again for that Arizona State game. But Arizona State hasn't been impressive in any sort of way. So, you know, to give up, delay 13 and a half, I, I'd rather just take it with uh, Colorado and the home team. Again, this is one of these moments where I say, hey, I, I would not want to be doing this for a living because I would not want to be banking on a bad team to get to 20 points <laughs> in order to cover the spread. Yeah, I'm but, not, not going to spend my hard-earned money on that. Like, come no. on now. But uh, finally, the, the last game of the evening, the one that will probably sink me, Stanford's at UCLA, 7.30 on ESPN. Stanford has been better in recent weeks. They beat Arizona State. They beat Notre Dame, although they were in the teens in both of those games. So they've scored like 31 points, and they have two wins in the last two weeks. And then before that, they lost narrowly at home to Oregon State in that game that Oregon State, you know, a lot of people think they stole the game. I think they made a good play. But, you know, uh, if you're Stanford, you feel like you should have won three in a row. But, um, again, let's go back to the trend being your friend. UCLA is a home favorite, okay? The home favorites uh, this season – in the Pac-12, are 33 and one winning the game. They are 24 and 10 against the spread. UCLA is favored by 16 and a half. I'm going to say I will take UCLA. I will give up the 16 and a half points. I think UCLA has a has a real opportunity here to blow Stanford out of the stadium because I don't think they could stay with them on offense. I have it 38-21 UCLA, and I might be being generous to Stanford. I, I UCLA might be in the 40s or 50s if they if they get it cooking. Yeah, Stanford two and one in their last three games. Outscored their opponents by one point combined. Like that, you know, that not great there. Um, the thing is, John, and I want to ask you this question: Do you think there's any type of fall off from UCLA being undefeated, going on the road, and really getting dominated by Oregon to come back home against you know, you know, a, a sleepy Stanford team that's not going to you know put up a lot of fight? Do you think this is another letdown spot for UCLA? I think it's it's the same question. I, th- I have that question for UCLA. I have that question for USC. Because, you know, again, keep in mind, we haven't seen USC since they lost to Utah. So do both of those programs come back hungry, wanting to get to Vegas, or is there some fall off there? Uh, and then I have the same question for Oregon. They won. They had a big win. Do they have a letdown? And, and I kind of have the question tonight for Utah. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely in this. But if you are seeding the teams right now in the Pac-12 – you're probably seeding Oregon one. You're probably seeding USC two. You're seeding UCLA three. You know, Utah's the four seed right now. And so, you know, they have to be a little bit discouraged that they have come out of beating USC and they're still kind of, they're going, hey, even if we win out, we only have a 75% chance of getting to the championship game. So that psychology or the sociological experiment that I started talking about I think it's in play for a number of teams. Which which of the f- games that are coming up this weekend, uh, including tonight's game, 
Which of the underdogs do you give the best chance of outright winning the game? I guess, would it be Washington State or would it be Arizona or who do you like? Uh, yeah, I think it would be Washington State. I, you know, just a Thursday night uh, weird game. I know both teams are coming off the bye week, but you know, it's still a tough spot to go up to Pullman uh, and get that win. I, I think I, I would rank it Washington State 1 uh, and then probably Colorado 2. Like, I think Colorado has a chance to upset Arizona State just because I don't trust Arizona State. Yeah, I, I'm going to say Arizona. If I have to pick, you know, uh, an underdog to win the game outright. Arizona, I think, will score on USC. I think the kids at Arizona will be highly motivated to show up for this game. I'm not sure about the injuries at USC because we haven't seen them since the Utah game. How will they factor? How will Oregon kind of seizing the pole position affect USC psychologically? Um, and then it's a road game for USC. So if I'm picking a, an upset, uh, you know, a, a double-digit underdog to win outright, I'm going to say Arizona, and, you know, I'll, I'll lean into that. The, you know, and that's that's the second most compelling game for me. Uh, you know, the first most compelling game is, is the Utah-Washington State game tonight. And then after that, I like to see Oregon-Cal and then – uh, take your pick on Stanford, UCLA, or Arizona State, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, so, and for the record, I would take uh, UCLA and lay the points. I think I think UCLA bounces back. They were very confident yeah. even after the loss. Like they had some comments after the game that said, you know, we should have been more competitive in this game against Oregon. We made mistakes. I think they bounce back with Chip Kelly. Yeah, I'll see. I mean, I think Chip Kelly's really good at getting his team refocused. Jaden Grant is coming up, Oregon State team captain. I'll ask him. Does he watch the games on the week off? Like, you know, they were only they only practiced one day this week. A top of the hour, Mark Few, Gonzaga basketball coach. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. I'm gonna watch Utah and Washington State tonight. I'll tune into a bunch of Pac-12 games over the weekend. I am very curious. If Jaden Grant, team captain at Oregon State, does he step away from football over the weekend? Does he just take a moment to let his uh, mind rest? Uh, Oregon State will not play again until next Friday night when they go to Husky Stadium to play Washington. Jaden joins us every week courtesy of your local Jamba Juice. Jamba, life is better blended. Jaden Grant joining us now. Hey, uh, do you watch football on a week like this, or do you take the mental break? I was actually just talking about this. I'm, I'm definitely going to get up on Saturday. Uh, early morning and try to you know, watch as many games as possible um, out here in Hood River right now with Dalen. So definitely going to enjoy ourselves, but we'll definitely be watching some football on Saturday. Uh, I like that you're getting away. I think you guys did you only did you only have one practice this week? Is that right, Coach? Give you the rest of the week off? Yeah, we had one practice and then we just had two lifts uh, throughout the week. How does that feel to you? Because the the body has to need sort of a rest. Yeah, for sure. I think it came at at the perfect time. Um, you know, just by a week allowing guys to really recover, recover their bodies and just get your body feeling as well as possible. And, you know, also mentally as well. So it came at a great spot for us. Help us out when you watch a game. Um, you know, sometimes when I go to a game, even if it's a Blazer game, if it's a football game, I'm always thinking, what would I write? What time is it? What's the, what's, what would be my deadline? Like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking at, at like a journalist. When you watch a game, can you just watch it as a fan, or are you always looking at what coverage are they in, what's the alignment, how many receivers, okay, there's an empty backfield. How are you watching a game? Uh, when, I'm watching, when I'm watching film, obviously, you don't watch it as a fan. You, you watch it really strategically, you know, try to pick up as many things as possible. 
But um, you know, like I said, there's two different ways to watch you know football. You, know, you can watch it breaking down film, and you can watch you know for entertainment as a fan. So um, I think that I'll definitely be watching it as a fan. Um, the only time that I'm really watching a, a TV copy or a live action game and kind of trying to look at those things is if maybe we play them later down the line or, or something like that, or, or if just my eye catches something. You know, certain things pop up um, that you definitely catch. Uh, so yeah. Utah will play Washington State tonight. Uh, I'm I'm eager to see that game because. You guys in a week will play a Friday game, and weird stuff tends to happen on these weeknight games. What makes them different in your mind? You've played them. The Thursday night and Friday night games, how are they different than a Saturday uh, as a player? Uh, I mean, the only thing I can think of through my time here is that you always like, you know, Friday games, especially if they're away because you got to get out of school a day earlier because <laughs> you travel on that Thursday. <laughs> Uh, for for me, it's not much different. Um, it'll be nice for us because I, I will probably have Saturday off and then practice Sunday and then have Monday off again. So you kind of get an extra day off of breath as well after a game, which is cool. You mean you get out of that, that yoga class that you have on a Thursday or whatever it is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my online yoga class. <laughs> Thank goodness you don't have to do that. Uh, Jane Grant is with us, Oregon State defensive back. Um all right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of the road in front of you guys. You you have Washington next Friday. Uh, you get a little lull in front of it. You guys are sitting at six and two. Like this, you have a shot at a ten win season. If I had gone back and told Jaden Grant in year two, year three, hey, you know, you don't just be patient, put in the work. Uh, would that kid have believed me? Yeah, definitely. He definitely would have believed you. I think that's just part of being a competitor. And I just think that's part of, you know, playing the game that you love with so much passion. Um, I think there's only one play, way to play the game, and that's, you know, to try to win uh, at all costs. And that's how I've always been, you know, regardless of the ups and downs. So, um, you know, somewhere along the line through the ups and downs, uh, you start to see a little bit success, and you start to see the process work. So I, I think even still back then, if you would have said that it was a possibility, um, I would have believed you, but I would have known that it, it took a lot of work, um, you know, as it did. The, uh, it was interesting to see the awards come out, like the weekly awards, and and your guy Alex Austin was named yeah, as the def- boy. Yeah, defensive player of the week. Let's let's let people get to know Alex a little bit. You you guys are close. Um, yeah. You know, he had a, he had a pick six in the third quarter, and you know, forty two yard touchdown. That's a long way to run for for a pick with a pick six. A lot of fun to see that. You had also been a player of the week. That now you know you both. I think it's the third time. Like Oladipo had a player of the week too. I think earlier yeah. in the year. But, you know, it's – yeah, it's interesting to, to watch you guys. Like, to help us know Alex Austin a little bit as a player and as a person. Well, first off, Alex Austin, he's, he's a tremendous uh, human being. Uh, I think we've talked about his scholarship that he had. You know, the first thing that he did with his NIL opportunity was create a, a scholarship for, you know, students in need. So that was really cool to see. But just, you know, him off the field, he's, he's a really good down-to-earth guy, a uh, really likable guy. Everybody likes him, you know, in the locker room. And he's also a, a great leader, um, guys that – I'm a guy that kind of holds himself accountable to the highest standard and a guy that, you know, teammates respect when, when they when he holds them accountable because they know he's coming from a good place, you know. And then on the field, um, you know, a guy who's 6'1", 6'2", you know, long arms and great feet, you know, and fast and can, and can really cover. And then another thing about Alex, you know, if you watch close, you watch his game, and he'll come up and, you know, he'll put his face in the fan too. He, he'll, he likes to hit. He won't shy away from contact. So, you know, I love playing with that dude. I uh, I know his dad. I think his dad is like a city councilman in in Long Beach yeah. or something. And mm-hmm. but Alex and I on on media day we talked about his music career. Is does he have a future in music? 
<laughs> you know, yeah, he does have a couple songs. I'm like, okay, that was a, those are some hits. Um, but you never know with a guy like that. You know, a guy like Alex, you, know, you don't just think about, you know, football when, when I think of him. Um, you know, I think he'll have a, a great career. I think he'll play football for a long time because he's really good at that. But you just know with a guy like him, um, he's going to be successful in whatever he chooses to do. And, you know, he has so much to offer to the world outside of just football. Yeah, I think I think it's neat to, to kind of get to know you guys away. And I think it's part of why you coming on every week. We started this with Jaquiz Rogers years ago. Uh, yeah. He was the first guy who came on every week, and he did it for two years. And you've now you've matched him for two years now, so I think it's neat to see that. Um, he also has a – does he have a football family? Like, there's more than one kid in that family playing football. Yeah, uh, yeah. My, my boy, Dalen Austin, um, he's a senior at, at Long Beach Poly, you know, big-time recruit. And he's more of the same, you know, real down there. Um, you know, cool thing about their relationship, you can tell that, you know, he really looks up to his older brother and, you know, knowing Alex a great role model for him to have. So, you know, they come from a really great family. Uh, Mrs. Austin, Mr. Austin, you know, amazing people. Dalen going to go to Oregon State or LSU or where is he going? <laughs> Man, if we, if, we, if we had it me and Alex's way, he, he would definitely be going to Oregon State. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where he ends up. How much of that goes on? Because it's it's interesting to see, like, in the NBA, players are recruiting, right? There's a lot of recruiting that goes on. In college football, how much, uh, you know, is encouraged? How much happens you know, over the years? Is, is it happening more now than maybe in the past? You know, uh, how does that work? Or do you kind of just respect that, you know, everybody's got their decision to make and you kind of don't want to be uh, pushy about it? Uh, I think there's, there's a fine line, um, you know, between wanting what's best for you or wanting what you want to happen because you have a relationship with that person and, and wanting what's best for that person. Um, I don't think both can exist at the same time, too, especially in a situation like that. But, you know, for me personally, whenever I – even, like, I still keep in contact with – there's a lot of guys who are, you know, other places who I still have kept in contact with just from, you know, the relationship that we built off their recruiting trip. And I always even tell the guys that take visits here, like, I don't even care if you come here to Oregon State. You know, I, I genuinely care that you go to the place that you best feel, you know, is going to be best for your career and you're going to have the most success. So I think that's always the most important thing for everybody – because ultimately, you know, if you're in that position, what would you want somebody to do, you know? Yeah, and I think it's evident, like, at the end of games and you see players kind of saying, hey, good game or whatever, before they get off the field, it's a lot of times you'll see guys that played against each other or with each other in high school, you know, taking a minute. But other guys I've asked, and they go, oh, no, no, he was just on a recruiting trip, uh, and I connected with him. And, he's, you know, you know each other, don't you? Yeah, for sure. You, you definitely do. And, I mean, it it's a little bit different for me because I didn't take many recruiting trips, but, you know, there's guys who talk about all the time, you know, how they know certain guys that were playing out. You know, we were on a recruiting trip junior year or senior year or whatever it may be, you know, those guys are still, you know, really close, even though they never even, you know, knew each other before or went to the same college. So, you know, it's kind of cool how sports, you know, brings us together in that way. All right. Hood River, what are you doing out in Hood River? Are you going windsurfing? What's going on out there? <laughs> Definitely not doing uh, any windsurfing, but... Just out here relaxing, man. Right now, I'm in. Uh, I think I'm like probably like ten minutes past. Uh, I think Moiser, something okay. like that. No I was staring at a staring at a beautiful view right now in this nice little little townhouse. Uh, it'll be a nice little relaxing weekend. All right, Jaden Grant, uh, have a good weekend, and I will catch you next week as we start to focus on your game with Washington. Have fun, man. Cool. Thank you very much for having me, John. All right, anytime. There's Jaden Grant. That interview brought to you by your local Jamba Juice, Jamba. Life is better blended. All right, coming up top of the hour, Mark Few, Gonzaga basketball coach. You'll uh, hear our interview 
up next, though, our big splash. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, Damian Lillard uh, left last night's Blazers game with the, an injury. Blazers have subsequently uh, given us some follow-up, uh, given some update. Uh, he left last night's game in the third quarter. MRI taken today has confirmed a grade one strain of the right calf. He will be reevaluated in one to two weeks. I think when you start, like when you uh, issue this release... I don't know. Let me just get your reaction. Stephen, when you saw the Blazers PR team send out this release at 2.02 p.m. today, did some part of you go, uh-oh, because it's the headline, the subject line was Damian Lillard injury update. Yeah, because after the game, Dame really downplayed it, right? Like he said, I, if it was a playoff game, I would play. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he talked about even like, yeah, I missed one game, but I'll be back. So like, yeah, it was... It was weirdly written, like it was going to yes. be a serious injury. It scared me, and I went, "Uh oh!" And I opened it, and I went, "Oh!" So he strained his calf, and he'll be back in a week or two. I think the news is like I didn't need the MRI or whatever. I just think that why didn't they just come out and say, "Hey, we have confirmed," or Damian Lillard has a calf injury; he'll be reevaluated. But I guess they want to know that an MRI was taken. Um, I'm glad they didn't say the MRI results were negative. Because when I hear negative, I'm like, uh-oh. Uh, but uh, an MRI taken today confirmed a grade one strain of the right calf. I wake up with a grade one strain of every muscle. So uh, Damian Lillard, one to two weeks. Blazers got beat last night. Perfect record. Uh, knocked down to four and one. Heat beat them badly, 119 to 98. Uh, any takeaways last night? Or was it kind of looked to me like they just had, they had sort of, uh, you know, got to four wins, and that's all they had. Yeah, you know, uh, offensively for the Heat, they've been really struggling shooting the basketball, but last night, Max Drews, Tyler Hero got on fire and got on one. And then as soon as the Dame injury happened, the offense for the Blazers just fell off a cliff. And, you know, sometimes that happens where, you know, all of a sudden a guy goes out down and you just can't adjust to that moment. So, you know, I talked about this on my podcast. Um, like, the Blazers need to face some adversity, and this is a real big adversity test, right? With Dame being injured, how do they react to that? Because guys are going to have to step up. So, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how they do. But you know, I thought last night, it's like you said, they had won four in a row. They ran into a buzzsaw team that just hit a bunch of threes. Your star player goes out. It was a tough spot once Dame got hurt. That'll bring us to our big splash. It is the one thing that you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, we got a uh, controversy in the NBA 2K League. They have indefinitely disqualified six players and a coach for violating gambling and fantasy rules. That's right. This is in uh, the world of gaming. Uh, (laughs) Blazer Gaming, Blazer 5 Gaming, Jazz Gaming, Mavs Gaming, uh, I guess all wagered or attempted to wager on NBA 2K League games. Some uh, individuals, an investigation uncovered all this. The players broke league rules. They failed to report, and they failed to cooperate with the investigation. Uh, The Blazer 5 gaming coach, Andrew Maxey, and a player, Marquise Gill, 
were also disqualified indefinitely from all league activity for uh, failing to cooperate with the league's investigation. I did not know this was a thing. Stephen, did you know that the gamers were not allowed to gamble on the gaming? Um, I mean, I would guess that, you know, I didn't know that for sure, but just knowing from why it works in the NBA, like it was very clear you cannot bet on anything in the NBA. So I would guess since they're, you know, quote unquote professional gamers that are in the NBA, like you, it would probably be well known that they can't do that. Give me an idea, like, you know, because you've worked in that world and people don't know Steven worked for the Blazers. Were you doing scouting? Were you doing what, video evaluation? What was what was yeah. your role? Yeah, so I was in the video. Uh, I was in the scouting department as a video analyst. So uh, basically, I was just watching like their upcoming opponents, and I would watch basically you know the last four, five, six games that they just played in the regular season, and track down what plays they're running and how they're running it and who's running it, and you know every little every little detail in a basketball play. I had to track every play of every game. So give me an idea, like, for, for listeners and for myself, like, you know, we haven't worked in that capacity. How do they make it clear to you that, hey, you're even as an employee in the video department, you're not supposed to be uh, wagering on games? Yeah, I mean, so the, it's obviously it's in the employee handbook. There's a huge, giant section in it. And then um, when they hire you, they tell you straight out, like, you cannot bet on games no matter what. Like, you can't bet on the Blazers. You can't bet on the Bulls. You can't do any of that stuff for money and you can't and definitely uh they also like reiterate numerous times as you're working for them like do not give out any information to anybody because you don't know how that information is going to be used so keep it in-house i see so you have to do do they tell you that it's a fireable offense or yes how do they, yeah they will uh, they say it's definitely a fireable offense if they find out like you do any of it interesting so so there should be no discrepancy here I, maybe it's just me like i knew there were gaming teams but I didn't know that there was, like, a whole – I didn't know you could bet on that. Like, yeah. You yeah. know, I didn't know that was a world that you could get into. And I'm not going to start doing my <laughs> picks on gaming. Ooh, that would be a good one. Who's going to no. win Blazer gaming or Mavs gaming? No. No, but, uh, yeah, when I worked for the Blazers, like, also another thing, like, I went to Vegas uh, for the NCAA tournament. Like, I've done that numerous times in my life. Uh, and they, you know, because I asked them, I said, can I bet on the NCAA tournament? They said, yes, but make sure you do not bet on anything on the NBA. Like, wow. they were very clear about it. Um, and I was just, like, you know, a low-level employee, like, at the bottom of the toilet. But, like, no one knows who I am. But they told me to make sure I did not do any of that. So uh, they take it very seriously. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the gaming industry, John, it's a huge thing. And yeah. I remember during the pandemic, like, that was the big one. Like, they were uh, showing video games, and they were having people bet on it. Like, that was when it got really popular. But now that these professionals are out, you know, it's it's the same thing. Like, people love it, and they love to watch it. Like, my kids... They watch people play video games. Like yeah. he's eight years old. Like he just. I don't get it. I don't either. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> and it's like he has the game. I'm like, don't you just want to play the game? And he's like, no, I want to watch him play. Like I just, you know, maybe that's just me being old. I went to uh, there's an there's a convention every year in Anaheim. It's called uh, it's called VidCon, and uh, it's like 20 years old, but uh, it attracts like 100,000 kids who play games, they're all gamers, or they have YouTube channels, or they're really just into TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. And I went with my uh, now college sophomore when she was about like, maybe 13 or 14. We, we made it kind of an annual trip. We'd go down, we would go to VidCon, we would go to Disneyland. And for me, it was a real eye-opener because I walk into the Anaheim Convention Center and they did these meet and greets with gamers. And I didn't know who any of these gamers were. And some of the people that were the biggest stars 
that attracted the largest crowds. And I'm talking like thousands of kids chasing the gamers through the convention center while they're trying to walk to the meet and greet area, chasing them like they're the Beatles. And some of the celebrities, using air quotes, ha had YouTube channels where their whole shtick was they didn't even play the game. They just watch someone else play the game and they commentate it or they narrate it or, you know, they do a, a picture in picture. And it's remarkable to me that that had become a thing. Like, I, I literally, literally commented to my kid. I said, Barbara Walters could walk in here and nobody would know who she was. But PewDiePie over here, whoever that is, he's got six million people following him on YouTube. And I have no interest in, you know, who this person is, but they're chasing them. Just everybody trying to get a selfie, trying to get a, you know, hello, I, I met PewDiePie or whoever, whatever the gamer's name is. Yeah, and that is a real real person. I just looked this up. Uh, yep. Yeah, because he, you know, PewDiePie has 28.6 billion views total on YouTube. Yeah. You know, yeah. a, he averages, you know, average views is 7.7 .7 million. That's a lot. He, you know, he gets a lot of money uh, per year. I mean, he's a millionaire just based off of his yes. videos. So it's like, it's a real job that people go for now. And, you know, my son has said that he's like, you know, I'm like, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? He's like, I'm going to be a YouTuber. I'm like, mm, all right, well, good luck with that. But, you know, yeah, it's PewDiePie's, a thing that people like. I, I asked PewDiePie why, why he picked the name PewDiePie. And he says when you play a video game, it's pew, pew, pew. And <laughs> that's, how he, that's how he picked the YouTube handle that he uses. And now that kid is making, and he's not a kid anymore, but that kid is making like millions of dollars a year with making uh, apparel and playing Minecraft and doing whatever. And he's been banned and, you know, but he apparently is retired. You know what? <laughs> How do you retire from gaming? Well, the, the, when you get banned from a game, does that like, uh, you know, up your rep score? Like, oh man, this guy, he got banned. We got to, you know, yeah. he, he's a real OG now. Yeah. He says that YouTube has shadow banned him. And so he did a soft retirement. Mm. You know, haven't we all? Haven't yeah. we all done a soft retirement? But uh, apparently he's now 33 years old. That's the other thing. So I don't know. Retired um, at 33 sounds nice. Yeah, hanging it up. Uh, so much work. So much work doing those YouTube videos. Um, all right, coming up, you're going to hear from Mark Few, the Gonzaga basketball coach. Gonzaga has created a brand that is undeniable in men's basketball. They're doing some interesting new things. In conjunction uh, with uh, Tennessee, they're going to be playing a pay-per-view game tomorrow that's an exhibition. Uh, they're curious to see how it's going to go. You'll hear Mark Few talk about that, and I'll ask him about the possibility of Gonzaga to the Pac-12 coming up. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, the preseason of college basketball is uh, really intriguing to me this year. There's some new things going on, and one of them is happening on Friday. It's the Legends of Basketball Charity Classic, Gonzaga in Tennessee, in Frisco, Texas. Uh, this game will uh, tip off at 6 o'clock Pacific time, but it's going to be really interesting. This game will benefit charity, and you can get it on pay-per-view. Here to talk about it, Mark Few, Gonzaga coach. Uh, coach, how do you, you know, why is this important to you to, to try something new and have it help some people? I uh, just, first of all, John, thanks for having me on and uh, enjoyed uh, listening to your stuff over the years. And, and in fact, really, 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 I hate to go off topic here, but uh, really enjoyed your guys' conversation uh, 
with uh, the SEC commissioner. I mean, I, he's uh, he's just done such an uh, amazing job, and I and I thought you guys asked some really poignant questions and good questions, and uh, thought it was really interesting at this time and in, in uh, college athletics. Uh, but in regards to the game, you know, I think you, it's time to start thinking in different ways, and in, in you know what we can do to not only enhance our sport but also you know capitalize on some opportunities to 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 help charities and and other things and then also kind of give our guys more branding opportunities for uh you know all the nil landscape that's out there it's interesting because a lot of times people kind of dismiss the preseason i think this gives people an opportunity to go look you're you're helping charity uh good things are happening get an early look at the team gives you guys a chance to to break a sweat and kind of see what you have on the court the game's changing a lot and you know your job's probably changing a lot Oh, no question. I mean, no question in this last six months to a year. I mean, we've just seen massive uh, overhaul. And I think, you know, you can do one of two things. You can stick your head in the sand and, and complain and, and talk about the good old days, or you can can adapt and, as as best you can. And I think this is kind of an example of that. Like, look, um, these forever, we've done these, John, closed-door scrimmages this time of year, which are great. You know, you go in, and Rick Barnes and I always did it when he was at Texas. We've done it with Baylor. We've done it with Michigan State. Basically, scrimmage, no media, no fans, no nothing. And, you know, everybody's curious about what's going on and, and what happened. And, uh, you know, we just got to the point where it's like, well, I think this would be fun for everybody to kind of get a look at these and and, and watch these. And, and both our teams are veteran laden and you know at this point they want to play somebody and they want to have something to play for and and kind of need a little juice to the game instead of just going behind closed doors so i think it's it's a great opportunity to see two preseason top 10 or top five teams kind of kind of go at it and 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 then we get we have a lot to learn from it right i mean that's, that's as good as it gets from a coaching standpoint to get your guys out there going against a team like that you learn a lot about your guys in practice but what do you get in a in a game like this that you can't get in practice you just get well first of all you know hopefully the other other team doesn't know your every move and every set and everything you do like the guys you're going against in practice but you know you you get to see how your guys are going to react to you know the highest level athlete these are sec athletes um tennessee was arguably the best or one of the top two or three best defenses in the country uh, last year. And so you get really get to measure yourself against that uh, caliber of uh, competition. You also get to see how your guys are going to react under the lights, you know, because it's, it's a lot different at 7 o'clock than it is at 3 o'clock. How do you feel about this team? You, 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 year in and year out, I'm sure you have different challenges every offseason. You kind of evaluate what you have. How are you feeling right now about these guys? Uh, you know, that's funny. Everybody asks me that. My wife asks me that. All my buddies <laughs> ask me that. It's kind of relative, right, when you right. have the expectations that you have at Gonzaga now. Um, and I think now as I get into my late uh, 50s that you kind of can become introspective a little bit. And I would say one of my – weaknesses would be I have a hard time letting go of my previous team. <laughs> so this, I'm constantly comparing guys to Nemhart and, you know, what we were able to do with Chet and what last year's team. And the year before was just comparing them to Kispert and, you know, Ayayi and Suggs and that great group. So um, this is a different team. We got some, some young guys that logged some minutes last year in supportive roles that now we need to really lean on. 
uh, and usually at Gonzaga, those guys step up the next year and end up having uh, uh, wonderful years. Uh, we still have Drew Timmy, and when you have you know the best basketball player in college coming back, uh, that's a really good thing. We have some we have some experience, some guys that have logged a lot of minutes, um, and so I think just kind of getting those pieces together, especially in the backcourt, is probably. You know, I think what we're all interested to see how that's going to work. I was sitting courtside last year when you were in Portland for that opening round, and Larry Brown's pulled into the chair next to me on press row, and I I know Herb a little bit, his brother, and Larry Larry yeah. is Larry is watching you guys, and he said, you know, he said Timmy's his favorite player, he, as a as a guy, who, really? yeah, as a guy <laughs> who who coaches and has coached for so long. Like, are you do you allow yourself to enjoy? your own players in that way or do you have to constantly look for ways that you have to improve them or how you can help the team around them you know uh you know sort of gel to what they're doing oh john i you can do both you you can do both i absolutely unequivocally enjoy uh um yeah most every minute i have with drew he's a he's a joy he's a, he's he's just a character as i think everybody's figured out it's bigger than life he's uh, but yet he's a ferocious competitor. I don't know if people understand that. I mean, he just hates to lose. He's got incredible amount of confidence, which kind of becomes uh, contagious around the other guys. And and, uh, and he's really, really smart. He's an extremely smart, intuitive basketball uh, uh, player. But, man, I mean, the kid loves college and, and is what college is all about. And it's hard not to smile. You know, at one once or ten times or fifteen times during a practice when he's out there, with some of the things he says and does. We've talked a little bit about you know this game that is going on uh, on Friday, Legends of Basketball Charity Classic. Again, if you're just tuning in. Uh, you can get it on pay per view. You can see Gonzaga and Tennessee play uh, what will be a great preseason uh, matchup. But you have also signed on for a series with Kentucky. I saw this six year deal, two games in Spokane, two in Rupp Arena, two at neutral sites. Uh, ultimate show of respect, I think, from Kentucky basketball, saying, "Hey, we're going to come to Spokane and play some games." What did that mean to you? Uh, well, Cal and I have been really, have been very, very good friends, and we're always trying to, you know, in fact, kind of this exhibition idea was originally something that we came up with uh, that he uh, they, they couldn't quite pull off. So, uh, luckily, uh, Rick was game for it. Um, so, so we're always trying to to kind of keep up with you know, what, what's happening in the world around us. And, and I think, you know, we got to the point instead of just, man, you know, football is different. They have, like, game scheduled 10 years out, you know. And it's, yeah. we're, we're, we're scrambling around in September of this year filling our schedule. And I think we got to the point, like, okay, look, this is a game that college basketball really wants to see, will always want to see. It'll be something that, you know, people can kind of earmark every year when it's a Kentucky-Gonzaga game, TV you know, basically said that and, and bought into, uh, you know, to our, what we were doing. And, and uh, I, I, it's actually you can sell it to recruits. They can. We can. Um, so there's just really no downside to it, uh, quite frankly. You mentioned you listen, listen to the podcast with John Wilner and I. Where are you listening to podcasts? That's a, that's a good question. How was I listening to that? Was that on? Uh, Were you on a plane? Yeah. or doing a run? Like no, Sankey, no, no. You know? I, I, uh, oh, you know what? I think I, it, it uh, somebody had earmarked it that I was scrolling through on maybe Twitter or something. Mm, okay. 
as being really, really interesting. And and, and full disclosure, uh, Greg Sankey and I have been working together uh, for quite a while on this NIL reform, uh, trying um, – I went back and testified in Congress about a year and a half ago in regards to it. And so I, I just think he's – I think he's a great leader. I think he's incredibly smart, but yet he's a great listener. And he, uh, um, he I mean, he's just on top of so, so many of these things that's going on. So I was fascinated to, you know, to hear the questions you guys have yeah. for him, especially with all this expansion and everything going on. And, and uh, uh, it was just really good. I think it, it was earmarked by somebody else as being really, really good to we should listen to. So I jumped all over. We're going to have to get you on as a guest uh, at some point. Uh, I mentioned to Wilner you were coming on my show, and he goes, "We got to get him on." So we'll we'll hit you back up maybe. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, later I read the... his stuff too. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy reading his stuff too. Let me ask so. you. You know, what do you make of kind of the landscape? You know, you're involved in this stuff. You think of it, all the realignment yeah. that's going on, the ecosystem. I'm worried about college athletics. Well, I mean, I think there there's a lot of stuff to kind of give you pause for concern, and and um, but but I think you know if you think about it, we've always just done stuff because that's the way we've always done it, right? It's just always been, uh, you know, well, you're in this league and you're in that league, and you guys stay in your region, you stay in that region. I, I've always said, and maybe people say this is because I'm at Gonzaga, but. I'm just like, I have no idea why we don't have leagues, you know, or different for every sport, you know, because there's just such a, I mean, the baseball teams down in Southern California are so good. They probably don't belong in some of those leagues. They should probably be in the highest league out there. And obviously the hockey teams have kind of done their thing and, and soccer and women's basketball is obviously different than the hierarchy in men's basketball. And same with, you know, bas- men's basketball is different than football. And I just, just makes more sense to kind of have groupings uh, kind of like that. Uh, I, but, you know, we've always just done this traditional, you know, regional kind of groupings, and, and we've been able to kind of thrive uh, with that setup. But I, I just think you can always look at things with kind of a fresh, open mind. I think uh, Greg talked about that on your podcast. Mm-hmm. You don't have to change. You can just look at things and try to see if it needs change and hopefully make the right uh call but i would say this man that you know these athletic departments are under siege right now with you know they got title nine everybody bearing down on them and a lot of non-revenue sports want more and more and more stuff uh you know even though they don't generate any revenue and then now we got the players you know there's a real movement amongst the players which i'm totally in favor of of being able to capitalize on what they bring to the table and so um i think that's what's kind of you know, jumpstarting all this change that we're starting to see. I, I think the NIL stuff, you know, you, in theory, yes, you want kids to be able to benefit, but we don't right. want to open the floodgate for, you know, boosters buying players. How do you navigate that? I, and you nailed it. And, and, and this is what I, I say this all the time, because there's well-intentioned people that get involved in our sport and our business, but they're misinformed. And you can't just open the floodgate or else it just literally turns into just flat, just paying guys to come to your school. That's not what this is supposed to be all about. We were fortunate last year, John, I thought, to have two of the best examples. And actually even uh, Cal did at, uh, at Kentucky with the Shibway. Of pure, I mean, those uh, 
Oscar, Chet, and Drew were probably the three highest NIL, uh, or they pro- not probably were in, in, in basketball last year. And uh, it was all based on their name, image, and likeness. It was not anybody just giving them money to come to Gonzaga or to Kentucky or, you know, uh, either of those two schools. It was based on their name, image, like They were actually endorsing products like Shave Club for Men for Drew and, and uh, <laughs> you know, how yeah. perfect is that, right? right. <laughs> and, and, and he should be able to, to, to make money off that, especially if it moves some products. So I, I just, and, and, you know, and then you talk about being able to do camps, you know, if you're a volleyball player or a baseball player or something like that, and those are great ideas. But as with anything, if you give, you know, a, a, a open the door, open a crack, man, and you don't have tight reins on it, people just go busting through. So some of these things that are out there are a little need to get kind of reined back in if we can. Yeah, I've heard stories, too, about athletic directors who call each other and say, hey, I need you to call your collective and tell them, to stand down, they shouldn't be talking to guys on our rosters. Like, in the ADs, we're not aware yeah. that the booster groups were, were trying to get involved. I mean, I just think it's so many complications. It's not what it's supposed to be. No, and, and same with the transfer deal, right? Like, I mean, you can't even, tra- you know, you can't go school to school in high school, you know, without some, some hard, fast rules. And I'm in favor of maybe one transfer. And I think where we really screwed up was when, you know, coaches leave for other jobs. There should be a window where those players can transfer and, and, and do whatever they want. But to just open it up and to be able to leave. And so every year, you know, that's not – you can't do that in the NBA. You can't do it in major leagues. You can't do it in high school. I mean, heck, some of these AAU tournaments have rules about that. <laughs> and yet uh, – and, and so – Combine that, that kind of freedom where you can do all that with the collective now. And so you're forcing these kids. Here's, here's what I've heard that has happened a lot now is where everybody goes in the transfer portal to, to basically gauge their, how much they're worth, and then they come back to their original school and say, hey, so-and-so offered me this. You know, either, I mean, I either get this or I'm out the door. And it's just like, you know, that, that, that's just not a good scenario yeah. that's free agency yeah that's not yeah. that's not the portal but at least like the, at least the pros know when their people are becoming free agents <laughs> right. you know what i mean yeah. you can point at three years from now or two years or whatever yeah and in the pros they can right. cut you right like you know if, yeah. if you're not producing they can cut you and in college you know you, you you do that with the kids on that's on scholarship and everybody looks at you like you're horrible so you know it's yeah. it's, it's not a yeah. uh, it's not a good system um you know, again, you're playing this game. I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's new. I th- I'm curious to see how it does. It, it benefits yeah. the McLendon Foundation, for people who don't know. Uh, that Hall of Fame coach John McLendon, who was a pioneer in athletics and basketball and civil rights, um, benefits his foundation. It's Gonzaga in Tennessee. Tomorrow you can get it on ppv.com, uh, DirecTV, Xfinity, wherever you, uh, wherever you uh, subscribe. That's where you can find this game. Uh, before I le- let you go, you got me thinking about something. Um, Pac-12 yeah. Commissioner George Kwiatkow yesterday said, you know, they'll evaluate expansion. Nobody's, everybody's thinking football. Is it, is it beyond wild to think, like, if the Pac-12 approached Gonzaga, you know, is that a conversation that you would entertain or maybe Gonzaga would entertain? Or, you know, does that strike you as interesting or, you know, outside the box as we talk about sports, you know, not being in the old system? Oh, absolutely. Look, look, we've, you know, through 
like this whole run, we positioned ourselves really, really well. And, and look, those conversations have been in the mix with all these conferences, quite frankly. <laughs> and everybody's kind of jostling around, seeing where they're doing. I think what you're seeing is the first run is at football. And then the next run you'll see will be for, you know, programs in the basketball realm that can move the needle and, and, and you know, can, can actually generate TV revenue, can generate, you know, eyeballs, have a brand. And, uh, and, then, and also the, the difference in basketball then is, you know, shares in the NCAA tournament, the, mm-hmm. the money that they bring in and shares from that. And I think we're number one over the last five years in that. So, uh, yeah, the, all those stuff, for, it's definitely happening across all realms. For us, and we just need to look and and kind of make a really solid, prudent uh, uh, decision, and also look at so far what we've been doing has been working uh, pretty good, also. But the yeah. landscape is changing, and we're very aware of that. What kinds of things matter to you? Like if you know, if it's just you, and I know it's not just you. There's a whole athletic department, and whatnot. But if it's just you, like what matters to Gonzaga basketball when you talk about you know a possible affiliation with the Pac-12 or SEC or somebody? Uh, great, great question. The, the thing with me, and I think one of the things I'm most proud about what our guys have been able to accomplish up here is we've stayed nationally relevant through this, you know, entire run. And and teams kind of go up and down, they disappear, and some pop up and have a good run or whatever. Um, we've been able to stay nationally relevant, you know, for sure this last 10 to 12 years. And, uh, the most important thing is can we continue to do that? Can we continue to expand our brand and, and also, you know, does it does it help us? Does it help you know, does it help us attract a better level of player, you know, in recruiting and, and uh, put us in position to get to a, to a final four and win a national championship? That's the biggest thing uh, uh, for me. Mark Few, I appreciate you. Thanks for what you're doing with the game and with this tournament and this game on Friday. Uh, wish you the best, and we'll definitely get you on the podcast. I'd love to have you on and pick your brain about college sports and take a deeper dive on it. Yeah, no, yeah, I'd, I'd really enjoy that. And uh, in closing, this is just an insider uh, trading joke. You had Kilkenny and I nailed about 10 years ago. <laughs> So, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's the, that's the what they call that in the transition or lost leader for the next episode or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah. we'll talk about that in another ahead. episode. Yes. Mark, yeah. you, thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah, you got it. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, well, well. I'll give you the backstory on what he just mentioned coming up next. This is interesting. If you want to know how the sausage is made in college basketball, stay tuned. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Good stuff with Mark Few, the Gonzaga coach. Steven, did you catch the end of the interview there? I did, yeah. All right, so he... uh, he waits until we're about to say goodbye to drop in a little insider trading inside inside info. And uh, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Um, look, I've been in the state of Oregon since 2002. 
covering sports as a columnist and uh, for the last 17 years I've been doing this radio show plus writing columns. I'm now writing at johnconzano.com. If you want to read me, that's where you read me exclusively now. Get a free subscription, get a paid subscription, whatever works for you works for me. That's what I always say. But I give you that context because uh, what Mark Few is referring to is a column that I wrote late in the Ernie Kent era of Oregon basketball. And in fact, on two or three occasions, I've written about Pat Kilkenny, the former athletic director and booster at Oregon, who tried to hire Mark Few a couple of times. Now, people may believe that Few was part of the 39-day coaching search that resulted in Dana Altman. I think there was some of that out there. Not true. Um, Oregon had interviewed uh, and uh, potentially offered the job to a number of people, including Tom Izzo and Jamie Dixon, and before they uh, finally found Dana Altman. And uh, but prior to that, on two occasions, uh, I think it was a year, the year before Ernie Kent was terminated by Oregon. Uh, Oregon tried to hire Mark Few, and I started writing about it. And uh, people said, No, no, no. It, it's not true. You're just trying to cause problems for Ernie Kent. Uh, you're just making this up, Oregon fans. Uh, and Mark Few was essentially there confirming that uh, when Pat Kilkenny was the athletic director at Oregon, and uh, he's very close with Mark Few, uh, that he attempted to hire Few. In fact, I think he offered him the job twice. This is much like the whole Justin Wilcox conversation that, you know, I reported that you know, the, the Ducks had offered the job to Justin Wilcox uh, prior to offering it to Dan Lanning. Oregon fans are now in, you know, in denial at the moment, like, no, we didn't, no, we I'm like, why would I just throw that out there? I'm not going to report something that I don't know to be absolutely true. Like, when Oregon was searching for the replacement for Mark Helfrich, I had that coaching search nailed down. And coaching searches are hard. You have to be sourced, and you have to be sourced years in advance of this stuff happening in order to do a coaching search right if you are a journalist. So it, when, when Oregon is looking to hire the replacement for Mark Helfrich, I knew, where, I knew where Rob Mullins was. He probably didn't like it. I knew who he was talking to. He probably didn't like it. But that's me doing my job. And I knew that he had interviewed Brian Harson. I knew that he had uh, interviewed uh, also Kevin Sumlin at some point. I knew that he had, you know, P.J. Fleck wanted to be interviewed, like desperately was trying to get in on the interview but couldn't get an interview. You know, people, national people reported that the Ducks had interviewed P.J. Fleck. That was not true. They never interviewed him, never talked to him in person, never granted him an interview. Um, they viewed P.J. Fleck as uh, all sizzle and no steak. That was the quote I got. Uh, from inside the inner sanctum at Oregon. Uh, but I, so I knew where they were going. And I knew when Oregon was fatigued with Ernie Kent, you know, he had kind of gone to the Elite Eight. He'd taken them where they wanted to go. Um, it just made a lot of sense that uh, a kid who's from the state of Oregon, Mark Few, would be a candidate. And so I reported that. And, of course, a lot of Oregon fans were like, no, you know, the message boards light up. And I don't think Twitter was as big a thing back then, but it would have been bad. But the truth is, like, Mark Few is just telling you, yes, he was offered the job. I was right uh, with Pat Kilkenny, the athletic director, offering him the job back in the day. And, you know, it's probably – it's an inside trader m moment there from Mark Few because 
uh, in his heart of hearts, I think there was part of him that probably wanted to come home and wanted maybe to be the coach at Oregon one day. But, you know, he's got, he got an empire at Gonzaga, and he was smart to stay at Gonzaga, where, you know, if you think about the WCC, I talked to Gloria Navarez, the commissioner of the WCC today, and, you know, I told her, look, I'm going to write about Mark Few and the comments he made about potentially, you know, talking to other conferences and, you know, sort of, you know, posturing like, look, it does make sense. Like, there's some logic in what he's saying in that you have great baseball schools, you have great basketball schools, you have great women's basketball schools, you have great soccer schools, you have great football schools, you know, and sometimes they're not, they're often not one and the same. Like, you know, it, you look around and you go, gosh, you take some of the baseball programs inside, you know, Pepperdine and you take a uh, Cal State Fullerton and gosh, you could put them against anybody in the country. And you take Oregon State's baseball program and you say, gosh, you could put them against the best SEC teams and the best teams from anywhere and, you know, they could hold their own. And I kind of wonder if the future of college athletics is sort of this division where all of the football teams, like the 60 to 75 best football teams, are all playing in one conference. And then the 60 to 75 best basketball teams are in one conference, and soccer teams and baseball teams. And regardless of affiliation, your university gets money from whatever conference they play in. Because it is kind of an archaic thought that, hey, you belong to this conference and these are the only teams you play are within your conference anymore. And I think if you're Gonzaga, it's probably in your best interest to think of the world that way because it's true in the WCC you have, you know, you have some really good baseball teams. You don't have football teams, but you have some, you know, four or five basketball teams that, you know, can get into the tournament every year. And, and it's a different conversation in that conference. So um, I'll go back to, um, you know, this last hiring cycle for Dan Lanning. Same damn thing, like Oregon went after a native son. They offered the job to Justin Wilcox. They offered it to him twice, okay? I know that. I know that they offered it to him. He turned it down. I don't think he liked the conditions that it was offered it to him in. I don't have that directly from him, but um, I, uh, my, my uh, educated uh, you know, analysis of it is that it was offered to him, but uh, he did not like the autonomy that, that was not coming with the job. Uh, meaning, I think Oregon wanted to dictate who his staff was going to be. They did not want Peter Sermon, his defensive coordinator. They did not want Musgraves, his offensive coordinator. They wanted to handpick. And I, I kind of think that you might have ended up with a staff that is much the same as Dan Lanning's staff right now with Justin Wilcox as the head coach, if he had taken the job. But he turned them down. I know that Oregon went back to him uh, the following day, the following morning, and said, are you sure? And he turned them down a second time and said, no, I, I, it's just not the right job for me. I also think if you are Justin Wilcox, you know, you watched what happened to Mark Helfrich, Coos Bay kid, and you look at Wilcox, kid from the state of Oregon, and you go, is it really a great thing to be the head football coach in the state that you grew up in, in the place that was your alma mater, in the place that, uh, you know, your father went to and your brother went to and you know you uh there's a there's a lot there scott frost probably has a story to tell about nebraska there's a lot there that can go wrong and can ruin what was a good thing so i think in some respects justin wilcox at cal probably a, a little different experience but i also think he, he may have been offended by the fact that the job is offered to him and 
it came with you know some stipulations like you know you know you this is we'll give you the job but you we get to pick your staff so um in the end like like a lot of things it it works out for the best sometimes think about this if you're an Oregon fan Chip Kelly leaves Mark Helfrich takes you to the national title game Mark Helfrich gets fired Willie Taggart comes in everybody's excited Willie Taggart bolts everybody's disappointed Mario Cristobal's assistant gets promoted everybody celebrates Go to the Rose Bowl. You go to the Rose Bowl. You win the Rose Bowl. Cristobal leaves. Oh, no. Now comes Dan Lanning. Now, as of last weekend, everybody's going, hey, this just gets better and better and better. So sometimes I think it's the uh, the break that, that comes from just life sort of, you know, winding you on a journey that you got to pay attention to. Um, I, I think it's a good lesson for us all. Like, the best decisions or the best outcomes that I've had in my life have all been no-brainer decisions, Right. You kind of like, you know, you kind of just go, it's Forrest Gump-like. You just go where the path takes you. And Oregon has done that, and I think Oregon kind of looks back and goes, hey, probably great that Willie Taggart didn't stay. Probably great that Mario Cristobal didn't stay. Everybody sort of serves a purpose in the chain or the journey or, you know, what leg they run on this this uh, th- this journey that is a lot like the hood to coast, right? You know, you're, you're trying to get to the national championship game. I think if... If someday Dan Lanning wins a national title at Oregon, we're going to look back and go, hey, look at Mario Cristobal's contributions. Look at Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich's contributions. Look at Mike Bellotti's contribution. Look at Rich Brooks and his contribution. And you see sort of the building block of the program. Sometimes it happens because it's supposed to happen that way. Up next, though, we'll talk about Gonzaga and the Pac-12. Could this happen? Would the presidents okay it? Would the basketball coaches inside the conference like it? We'll talk about it. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Five at five coming up top of the hour. We'll give you the five biggest, baddest stories going on in sports. Also, Thursday night football is ahead. If you are uh, somebody who is into Thursday night football, are you into Thursday night football, Stephen? Uh, I mean, sure. Why not? I mean, I'm not like, not just because, you know, there's something to go on in the NFL. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I mostly, I, I, I watch the end of it because uh, I go straight to my uh, kid's soccer game on Thursday. So uh, I'm more into that. More into that Thursday night football. What it, what's the spread on your kid's soccer game tonight? Ooh, so uh, apparently they played Tuesday, and I missed that one. But uh, my wife said he had five goals. So Woo! apparently, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put the spread at uh, my, my kid's team minus, uh, minus two. Minus two. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I will often turn to one of the other parents, a friend of mine, Brian, who's there for the games. Brian likes to uh, wager on NFL games and such, and it'll be like halftime of the soccer game, and I'll say, what's the what's the uh, in-game spread right now? And he'll go, oh, oh, we're minus one and a half. Is it bad that it's always <laughs> been my dream to like have one of my kids play college sports or be a professional so I can bet on them? I think it would be so fun. <laughs> I, I think you should just leave it at watch them play professional sports why period I can't bet on them so i can bet you on know them? The, you know the joe burrow story right like his, no his, tell me that one so his dad uh going into his senior year bet a bunch of money on joe burrow to win the heisman trophy because he knew joe burrow was going to be awesome that next year so he won you know like a hundred hundred grand off his son wow good for him yeah well i guess he was betting on his kid yeah like that's what i, I would never bet yeah. against him Right, I'd I, I thought you'd be off. like, "Oh, he didn't get a good night of sleep." So, hey, uh, hey Lincoln, I need you to only win by eight today. 
Is this the same kid who has that same superpower you have? You can take his shirt off in yeah. one? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that video of you guys ripping your shirts off that mm -hmm. we tweeted out, yeah. when he becomes like a Heisman candidate, that thing's going to be viral. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That one when he's, you know, seven years old. Look at young rip, Lincoln. Ripping his shirt off with his dad. Yeah, and then he'll be, what position uh, is he playing, uh, soccer or football? Uh, well, so, so, you know, in soccer right now, they still, it's still uh, boys and girls blended, so they, they're just kind of learning, like, just the sport in general. So there's really no positions yet. Like, they don't have goalies okay. yet. Okay. So same thing as, as our kid. Yeah. Um, uh, I find that, um, are you a good parent at a youth sports game? Oh, I'm great, yeah. Do you, uh, you cheer for your kid? You cheer for your kid's team? You don't heckle the uh, referees. You don't. You don't find yourself uh, trash talking the other parents on the other team. I mean, I I make funny comments to my wife about the other coaches when they overreact. Like this yeah. one, this one coach was getting on the field and was blocking the team, and I was like, "Is he yes. serious right now? Like, why is he blocking? I, get off the field." Okay, I had a very similar incident about three weeks ago. It's it's they play. I think they play four on four, and it's with those little pop up goals. Yeah. And my kid's team is very aggressive. Two, two of the, you know, my kid is aggressive because she's the youngest, and she gets her butt kicked by her older sisters. So when she gets out there on the field and she encounters kids that are not like a youngest child syndrome, um, she feasts because she's used to competing. Like she, she was born competing. And one of the other kids on her team is the youngest, I think, of nine children. Mm. And they are super aggressive. And when they're on the field together, they're ridiculous. Okay, they're like it's it's really hard. But the uh, so they were scoring and scoring and scoring. But the other coach started standing in the goal behind the play. Mm -hmm. So when they got a breakaway, they were now dealing with like a 38-year-old woman who was standing in goal <laughs> instead of an open goal. And I get it. She was a little frustrated, and I, I do commend the coach of my kid's team because I think she noted it in the second half, and she started saying, hey, I'm gonna not going to play you guys at the same time. Like, I'll divide up. We won't be at our best, but we won't, you know, let, this makes a better flow of the game, which is cool. Like, yeah. I, that any coach should do that. But I don't like when the coach, you can tell the coach is trying to be involved in the game. Yeah, because 100% they're doing it on purpose. And, that, and that's what the coach was doing against our team is, he would stand, you know, like you said, not in front of the goal, but like right in the middle of the field. Yes. And so if the ball Get got out kicked out, yeah, he like acts like he's, oh, yo, oh, sorry, you know, and then he kept yeah. doing it. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, there's a couple times where uh, I definitely made the call on the sidelines of whose ball it was. Yeah. You know, like it was the other, the other, the other team just grabbed it because their coach was like, grab it, it's our ball. I was like, no, it was off your team. Yeah. I was sitting right here. I saw it. It's our ball. Yeah, my wife Anna's telling me while I'm because I'm kind of going. I I'm literally saying out loud, you know, hey, that coach, that coach needs to get off to the side. It's okay that you're on the field because you're supposed to be out there. They're right. mildly officiating and they're supposed to be coaching, and they allow them to be on the field. Yeah, especially at that age, they're yeah. just learning. Yeah, but don't be in the middle of the field. You should be kind of you know three quarters off to the side. You should be offset to to one of the sides, and so that if there's a breakaway. You aren't an adult standing in the middle of the field and, and defending. So I said out loud, that coach needs to get out a goal. 
Like, if that coach wants to play, she needs to go and find an adult league to play in. But get a, she needs get to a get jersey out. on, yeah. Yeah, get a jersey, go play against other 35-year-old women, and it'll be great for you. You'll have a great time. And Anna's going, shh, be quiet. Be quiet. Does your wife do that to you? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> that happened to be what I called out. It was our team's ball. She's like, Steven, stop. I'm like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like, you know what? I'm just into the game. But, no, I'm a good parent. I'm a good fan. You know, I, I root for everyone on the team. That's the thing. You know, yeah. I, I try to root for everybody and learn people's names. Um, and then, my, you know, my son has a really good friend on his team, so we sit by his parents, and, you know, we're always just screaming for each other. So, uh, you know, all in all, I think I'm a pretty good parent because I don't, I don't try to get over-involved. I, I, I also root for the kids on the other team. When they score a goal, I'm happy for them. Like oh, if, see, it's a good, I, I, if it's a nice play. Eh, my dad does that, and I go, that's not our team. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's a nice play, man, the point yeah, is that's a good, you're supposed to recognize good play. If it's a good goal, yeah, I'll be like, oh, that was a good goal. But, yeah, he'll cheer for just any goal. And I'm like, eh, you know, it's not cheer for that one. Eh, all right. We'll eh. see. And I, and I tell my kid when she goes to play, do you give your kid any advice before the game? Uh, no, I usually try to do it after the game. Okay, I'll say before the game you got two things today. I want you to no. I I uh, I want you to have fun, and I want you to score some goals mm. in that order, and that's plural. Okay, so yeah, goals. So. Well, I, that's that's the advice I always give my kid is you know sports are supposed to be fun, but it's way more fun when you're good, right? Yeah. And so you got you got to try to go for it. Like it's more fun when you score a goal. Have you ever has your kid ever been on a team that is just really struggling? Because it's really interesting in soccer. The youngest daughter, she's on a really good team, and in volleyball. My middle daughter, her team is kind of a blended third grade, fourth grade team, and they struggle sometimes because they play teams that are good, that are all fourth graders at times, and some of those games can get ugly. I mean, it could be like 25-5, yeah. and it's it's really challenging to watch those games, but um, I, I go, look, that's part of it. I remember being on a bad Little League team when I was a kid. I mean, it, I, I, it, it taught me a little bit. Yeah, no, it's uh I think my son has had actually some bad luck being on some bad teams for the most part, but you know, he he's really started to understand like even cuz I he, you know, like on this team right now, his team is okay. They're not great, but he's by far the best player and I think he realized, look, if we're going to win this game, like I need to score. And so like he's really gotten that in his mind to like I'm going to be the aggressive one where before he's never really shown that aggressiveness. So I think you're right, like it definitely teaches you different ways to play the game, but uh yeah, I mean his bad he's kind of had some bad luck with his teams. Yeah, I uh, I think – all right, we've talked about this. Like, there's some times when I think we learn more from failure and struggling than we do from success, especially if success comes very easily. And I know parents, we all want to game the system. We want our kids to have, win a lot and score goals. But um, I think the, mo- the best Little League season that I've learned the most from was one where I really struggled and – then I came back the next year and had a great year. And I think what I learned from that was, you know, just keep working, like keep plowing along. Like you, you, you be, be resilient. Like, like if anything, like, you know, I, I just think resilience is one of the best things that you can come away from sports with. So if you fail and a parent allows you to fail and, you know, you get yourself up and you keep playing and you eventually have some success uh, when you're, 30 years old or 40 years old or whatever, and you get some adversity in your life, it's not going to be the first time that you've had dealt with some stuff. So I think that's really important stuff. All right, I really want to talk about Gonzaga and the Pac-12. We'll deal with it next. I want your phone calls as well. Would you welcome Gonzaga to the Pac-12? Think about this. From a men's basketball standpoint, if you're Oregon, if you're Arizona, 
do you want Gonzaga in your conference? Think about it from a Gonzaga standpoint. You have a clear path to the NCAA tournament every year uh, in the WCC. It is one of only three conferences in America, the Southland Conference and the WAC being the other two, that give a double bye to the regular season champion, get you right to the conference semifinal if you win the regular season. Gonzaga's got an easy path to the NCAA tournament every year. Do you give that up if you're Gonzaga and, and go in pursuit of going to the Pac-12 or somewhere else? 503-417-7575. Take your phone calls, and we'll kick it around next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Five at five coming up top of the hour. I want to talk Gonzaga, though, before we do that. Uh, I wrote today at johnconzano.com about the possibility of Gonzaga to the Pac-12 conference. I do think there would be some pushback. The Pac-12 conference men's basketball coaches, I don't think that they would welcome it maybe with open arms. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't see uh, anybody being okay with Gonzaga being between them and a conference title. Uh, I'm also not sure that the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors would allow George Klyovkov to make the move on his own. Uh, I think that they would need to uh, be unified in that. So uh, I think that, you know, there's some obstacles here. I also think there's a possibility that Gonzaga's better off in the WCC, where they have a clearer path to the NCAA tournament. But today was the first time that I really started to wonder whether Gonzaga might one day end up as a member in the Pac-12. You heard Mark Few's interview here at 4 o'clock today uh, where he talked about the game they're playing tomorrow against Tennessee. They're playing a exhibition against Tennessee. They're doing pay-per-view. They're trying some new things. Uh, they're going to do a home-and-home -home with Kentucky. Uh, that's a new thing. Uh, Kentucky's coming to Spokane twice in the next six years. They're going to play two games in Kentucky and then they're going to play two neutral site games in the next six years. So they're coming up with some creative ways. Um, there's also kind of the idea that the NCAA basketball tournament is going to become more and more and more lucrative. The rights on that, the television rights on that, are going to become more and more valuable. Every NCAA tournament unit uh, from last year was worth $337,000. So if you make the tournament, you get $337,000. If you win a tournament game, you get another 337000 If you win another one, another three thirty. Um, and Gonzaga in the last five years has more units than any program in the country. So they have done better than anybody at this game because they entered the tournament as a high seed and they've, had, they've advanced. They've made you know, a couple Final Fours. So um, Mark Few wants a national championship. He joined us earlier. Um, I do think that there will be some enthusiasm for uh, Gonzaga to the Pac-12 from the Gonzaga crowd because I think it validates Gonzaga. But it's an interesting conversation because it kind of is rooted in the idea that, you know, could you take a basketball-only member? One of the problems that I think the Pac-12 has had in trying to replace the possibility they're going to have to replace uh, both USC and UCLA is um, the idea that there's only one really good candidate out there. It's San Diego State. Right. So everybody is kind of gone, myself included, gone eh, after San Diego State. Yeah. UNLV, Boise State, Fresno State, SMU, 
nobody, nothing, nothing really moves the needle. It's why I keep wondering if the solution for the Pac-12 is going to ultimately be going, look, there's not a great 12th partner out there for football, but what if you took Gonzaga in basketball, and what if you took somebody else in football? What if you took UNLV in football, but Gonzaga in basketball? What if you took what if you took um, you know Boise State in football and Gonzaga in basketball? Uh, Stephen, does any of that strike you? Like, let's just talk about Gonzaga. What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, as a basketball fan, I think that would be awesome to see Gonzaga play in the conference like the Pac-12. But I think you're right. I think there would be a lot of pushback within the conference because they are so good at basketball and just make their path so much harder. You know, I think if you're talking about if you can get one school for football, one for basketball, wouldn't that, like, if you're going to UNLV and you say they're only a football school, wouldn't their basketball team want to be involved too? Or am I wrong about that? Um, They might. But if you're the Pac-12, you hold the keys and you go, look, um, we're only we're only looking for sports specific, or or you don't take another football team. Let's just say you add San Diego State, and then you go, hey, we're going to add Gonzaga, but only in basketball because Gonzaga's brand adds something to Pac-12 basketball, and you replace UCLA, which was a team that that got you some units in that tournament. Leave it here. The five at five next. B F F. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. We were just talking about soccer and volleyball, and the, uh, the uh, taxi known as Anna's car just pulled out with two kids on their way to soccer and volleyball practice. Smiles on their faces, hopes and hope in their hearts. Just hopefully um, they remember everything to bring. <laughs> I'm always so worried about that. When I'm in charge of the kid, man, and his soccer, it's like, hey, the wife puts everything out. It's like, did I got everything? I don't know. We, Anna and I had that conversation the other day. Because as a kid, I remember the stress of that. Do you have your jersey? Do you have your do you have your shin guards? Do you have your shoes? Do you have your water bottle? Do you have your knee pads for volleyball? Do you have your the right shoes on? Um, and I, I told Anna, I said, you know what you do really well? That is not a stressor for us. And it's because she has created a protocol. She has like a bag that each kid has. She has a, sp- a place where that bag goes. When they take off a sock, mm. that sock goes right on that bag. Nothing leaves, like nothing gets strewn. Like the problem as a kid is everything was strewn around the house. Yeah, well, we were looking for one soccer sock for like three straight <laughs> days yes. last week. A lot of stress. A lot of stress in that uniform thing. Uh, water bottles, shin guards, uh, all of that. So Anna does a really good job with that. i got to give her fist bump on that. But the kids went off to practice. Uh, we'll get into the 5 at 5. Thursday night football is coming up. Uh, it'll be the Ravens and Buccaneers on Amazon Prime and right here on 750 The Game. Uh, that'll be a 5-15 kickoff. Uh, this Tampa Bay is minus 2.5. Uh, by the way, Brady and the Buccaneers. They've lost four of five. They were two and zero, oh, sitting pretty. It is unraveling on the Buccaneers. So keep an eye on that tonight, or an ear on that today. Here we go. Let's do it. The five at five. The five at five. Well, Damian Lillard's hurt. He's now going to be out one to two weeks. Grade one strain on his right calf. They'll reevaluate him in one to two weeks. Blazers are four and one though. Let's start with that. 
as the headline. Blazers playing good basketball. 4-0 to start the season. It hurt them yesterday uh, in Portland as the Heat beat them. And after the loss, Lillard said uh, it wasn't anything he was concerned with. Wouldn't make sense to try to push through it in the fifth game of the season. Blazers will host the Rockets on Friday night. They'll be without him. After that, they have a break before they host the Grizzlies next Wednesday. It feels to me like they're, you know, they're well aware of the schedule, and they're going, look, what's the harm in missing Friday's game? Get him right. They're trying to be smart about it, but Lillard uh, suffered the injury with just over five minutes remaining in the third quarter. Blazers are 4-1, and one, though. Uh, I think that's the big headline. Yeah, that break they have, it's a four-day break. So they play the Rockets on Friday four days off, which is very interesting. I don't know why they have a four-day break off at the start of the year, but they do. So I think you're right. Like, it's a lot to have to do with that break right there. Yeah, and I think if, if, like, if they played, let's just say they had, like, two or three games in that stretch, I don't know if he would be out the same amount of time, but I think they're trying to be smart with it. Meanwhile, in the NFL, Jamar Chase, Bengals receiver, he's going to be out four to six weeks. Uh, he has got a hip injury. He did not practice today. If you have him on your fantasy league team, you better go shopping. Um, he had an issue uh, uh, in week six against the Saints, and then he was limited in practice, and uh, they beat the Falcons on Sunday, but he pulled up during the Falcons game, saw a specialist yesterday. Uh, they're saying uh, this is a hip issue. Because of the injury, um, he could go on injured reserve. It would keep him uh, out for a minimum of four weeks. Keep an eye on that. Third thing in our 5-at-5, five five, Mark Few, Gonzaga basketball coach, he joined us on the program in the 4 o'clock hour. He talked a little bit about Gonzaga's game tomorrow. They're doing a pay-per-view exhibition game against Tennessee. The money's going to go to charity, but don't be surprised if pay-per-view becomes a thing for some of these college basketball programs or maybe even a college football program that's playing in a mid-major conference. It's interesting to see sort of the mindset or to hear the mindset from Mark Few because he made a comment at one point of our interview in which he said, um, you know, I want to see how this goes. Felt to me like that this could be a thing. If it blows up, if the pay-per-view is successful, that you could potentially see Gonzaga scheduling some exhibition games or even scheduling some non-conference crossover matchup games where they agree to split the purse like a couple of boxers boxing in Vegas. Is this the future? It could be part of it. Keep an eye on it. And if you want to see Gonzaga play on Friday, you can do it at uh, your local provider, Xfinity or DirecTV, or even go to ppv.com. That's pay-per-view.com. And you can uh, buy that game, and the money's going to the charity that is uh, the beneficiary for this event. But a uh, few also talked about the possibility of Gonzaga leaving the WCC. He said it's something they've talked about. He said that they have uh, talked with the consultants. They have explored this. And he very much sounded like he was tuned into the reality of college sports and the shifting landscape of sports. He also said that, uh, you know, he believes that basketball will be the next domino to fall in the expansion realignment race. It's all been about college football. It's been about TV to this point. Number four in our five at five, Mario Cristobal not, may not be winning on the field, but he got a big win in the recruiting world today. Cormani McLean committed to Miami today. Big boost for Mario Cristobal's program. 
number four overall prospect, top defensive back in the class of 2023. Um, by the way, Cristobal's first full class at Miami is currently ranked eighth in the ESPN rankings, has 10 of the top 300 prospects. This is uh, the second prospect inside the overall top 10 to commit to the Hurricanes in the 2023 class. And McLean is the highest ranked player to commit to Miami since 2009 when they started ranking players. He's 6'2 and a delicate 165, but he is a high school player. Keep that in mind. Uh, Mario Cristobal getting a win in the recruiting world. Uh, Finally, Baker Mayfield. Rolling with the punches, he said. I saw a story today. It was really interesting because there's been a lot of talk about Baker Mayfield in the last couple of years. Um, You know, he was the top pick in the 2018 draft. He, you know, struggled in Cleveland. Obviously, it ended badly. Um, He may be healthy enough to play on Sunday. Panthers are going to play the Falcons. But the problem is Baker Mayfield is now accepting the role as backup to journeyman quarterback P.J. Walker. Now, this is the first time since he was drafted that he wouldn't start when healthy. So this is new for Baker Mayfield, and it's really interesting that they'll be playing the Falcons, who have another guy at quarterback who has had some ups and downs. Maybe it's cool to get a Heisman Trophy or get an invite to the trophy ceremony. Maybe it's true, true it's cool to win it, but uh, I'll tell you what happens uh, to Heisman-winning quarterbacks when they get to the NFL. They look up and they find out they're on a bad team and they've got a little bit of help around them, but not much. Baker Mayfield, Marcus Mariota, others, Jameis Winston, Joey Harrington, Killy Smith. Uh, you go down a list of quarterbacks. We can make a list of quarterbacks that have had issues. Um, and meanwhile, you look around the league and you find a lot of guys who maybe hung out, held a clipboard, weren't highly drafted, who find themselves in better positions ultimately. That's the five at five, five biggest things going on in sports. All right, I want you to get a podcast of the show if uh, you missed any of it or you want to share the Mark Few interview or what was, I thought, Jaden Grant's best interview of the season. Oregon State defensive back was fantastic. I texted him. I said, that was your best interview. He was relaxed. He was candid, uh, really strong interview. Um, if you uh, if you are a diehard listener to the show, you know we're, we'll be back with a great Friday show tomorrow that will be all about the weekend with big guests and uh, we will get into college football and the NFL. Uh, if you are uh, somebody who's coming to the show for the first time, welcome. Make sure you get the podcast, subscribe, leave us some feedback on the podcast. That's how other people find it. Uh, the Bald Face Truth is not here for a long time, just a good time. Uh, in Portland on 750 The Game, we've got Thursday night football coming up. Tom Brady trying to right the ship in Tampa. Will he do it? We'll find out. Ravens and Buccaneers next.